This is the Dialed Health Podcast. It's your time to start moving forward. What's up, Dialed fam? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And today we're sitting down with my good friend, Cody Kaiser. Now, Cody is, without a doubt, one of the most experienced and knowledgeable people I've ever talked to in the cycling industry. And I, I, in fact, I don't know many people that have the same balance of experience and knowledge that he does because he owns and operates a bike shop out of Sacramento, super successful, called Kinetic Bikes. And he also has come up really doing every style of endurance racing. Uh, he claimed an 09 junior cyclocross national title. He has done, uh, dude, countless cross-country events, road races, road crits. He's even done some EWS enduro racing, which I didn't know about. Uh, but he would never let me say this, or, or he would never admit it, but his experience and knowledge level is just wild. I mean, we've had conversations on FTP or uh, trail bike suspension, just really things across the board that have blown my mind. And always, they always change my perspective of it or give me a way deeper understanding um, shoot, we talked about suspension tuning one time that just made me have so many more questions because it was almost counterintuitive to everything I knew. So anyways, like it, I'm excited to talk about um, a lot of things with Cody today. We're actually, we just did the interview, so I'm not going to lie and say we're about to, but we jumped around from topics super quick, which I think will be exciting for you. And we range everything from the Belgian waffle ride. In fact, this was the person that I kind of hinted at on the last episode. I was like, I hope we can talk to him about his experience. Um, so we got him <laughs> and we're going to talk about Belgian waffle ride. Uh, we're going to compare it to the five day organ gravel grinder that he did kind of thoughts on the trends in the cycling industry for every discipline, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it also brought up a conversation about Nika that I want to dive into for the future on. And then we talk about trail bikes, uh, what travel that they should have. Uh, and we even hint at a little injury he had where he has started strength training for. So it's a really well-rounded conversation, super fun. And I think you're going to enjoy it. And and then we go into a new segment called Weekly Thoughts, where I get five minutes to talk about whatever the heck I want. It's like a little diary entry, and usually it's inspiring because I'm always thinking about inspiring stuff, but this week we're talking about the norovirus that swept through my family and shut me down. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to try and be graphic for the sake of just being graphic and crazy or whatever, but you have to know what happened this last six days. It has been wild to say the least, especially trying to take care of a family while you're this sick. And I, I gotta just tell you about it, the details. But of course, I'm always looking for a deeper meaning. There was a lot of perspective that came from it um, and a lot of growth, I think, honestly. Uh, however, I do specifically wanna tell you what I did to adapt my training during this sick week because it's very rare that I have such a wrench thrown in my training program. So we'll talk about my changes in my strength training and also my changes on the bike um, because I have been so weak, like unbelievably weak. <laughs> so anyways, I think there's be a lot to learn from there. And that will kind of wrap up the episode. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Cody. Cody, do I have to schedule an official podcast just to talk to you? Maybe. <laughs> Going different directions all the time. <laughs> we have to uh, put it on the schedule to sit down. Actually sit down, not sit down on a bike seat. <laughs> That's how I know we're real adults here. And for the people listening, Cody runs a bike shop. 
He's a pro racer and man, the guy is on the move and just generally getting after it. So we're like ships passing in the wind, man. Uh, but it's crazy how, <laughs> you know, we'll get in a rhythm where maybe a month we'll actually ride together multiple times and then we'll just go two months without seeing each other. And that's, that's adult life right there. Yeah. I actually had been thinking recently, I was like, dude, man, I got to ride with Derek. I need some like longer, longer weekend adventures. And I was getting text messages about riding and I was like, oh, I'm up here at this event or over here. And I was like, man be fun to be doing that though too <laughs> yeah that's the one hard thing about riding different disciplines or multiple disciplines i found is that you have these like groups of friends in each discipline and you're either with one when you're with one you're you know missing time with everyone else opposed to you know five years ago i had my one group of riding friends that we just rode all the time because yeah. we're always riding the same thing you know yeah a group of five guys that are always riding yeah and so we're going to, by the way, uh, speaking of different events, new things, we're going to talk about the Belgian waffle ride that you just did because we kind of uh, ended the last podcast episode with that. And me just basically going on about how insane it was. There was 4,000 people at the start of this thing. And you basically raced every endurance discipline from, you know, cyclocross to uh, road. You've done full on road races. You've done road crit. Uh, you've done cross country races. And so, I tried enduro. Oh, did you? Have you done an enduro race? <laughs> yeah, I did a couple of EWS races. Oh, you went full on EWS. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did the one in Winter Park, the one in uh, in um, Whistler the year they had the Crankzilla. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, tried it, I've tried it all except for DH racing. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Well, I feel like we just need to get you to do like North Star downhill just to check that off the list. <laughs> um, maybe we'll do something like that, but. Uh, <laughs> So you, you've had that experience. Um, I, you know, just for the people listening, I love riding and talking with Cody because, uh, you, you're, th are you 31? 29. 29. Oh, you're younger than me. That's right. What the heck? <laughs> um, you're actually younger than me, but we started riding at a similar time. I think you were younger starting racing than I did, but we've really seen the changes in the cycling industry together. And it's been kind of cool because he's been on the opposite end of it. I've been always more gravity and he's always been more endurance. So when we talk about certain topics, we have totally different point of views, even though we're like the same age and have had a lot of same experiences on paper. It's just funny to see how those have kind of shaped us, which we're going to talk about trail bikes and short travel trail bikes versus long travel trail bikes after this Belgian waffle ride discussion. Uh, but I think you'll see kind of where we, uh, not disagree, but have had totally different thoughts about stuff. Maybe he disagrees with me, but um, anyways, let's talk about the Belgian waffle ride. So just generally like the size of this event, what were your thoughts there when you showed up to like the expo? Um, how was it ran? Was it smooth? Were they prepared for this amount of people? Uh, what did you think about that whole expo venue, the vibe, everything? Oh, it's, it's run really smoothly. So this is my third time doing it. And every year it's gotten bigger and bigger the last time in 19 when I did it it was I think as big as this year if maybe not a little bigger because there's everything going on and what people's opinions are of that um, or you know concerns with it and so I think it was a little bigger um, but yeah they run it really smooth from the meals catering signups like I've done events that are much smaller and waited longer and reg registration lines and they do a really good job with it but it's a lot of people for sure there's a lot of people out on course. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of, yeah. That's good to keep in mind too, because even a registration line can really kill your vibe at event, at an event, because I've been in line for an hour plus at events before. And it just, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, like what am I doing? This sucks. 
Yeah, and if you get folks that don't know what they're doing and kind of what they got, you know, what they have to do with each rider, then it makes the whole thing a problem. And now it's just like, all right, sign this, sign this, sign this, head on over here. Here's your number, bada bing, bada boom, like moving through. Yeah, they do a really good job with everything. And for the most part, it's a really well-run race. That's good to know. So then how was the actual vibe? Were people more relaxed than a typical race? Was the energy uh, more positive and just fun, like lighthearted? That's kind of my perception of it from the outside. No, it's pretty serious. Uh, you know, the, the SoCal vibe is a, a very different vibe than, than what we have up here. Uh, they're, they're pretty, pretty aggro and they're pretty, it's, it's a high competition. And at oh, least wow. for us, it's different people, different, you know, different uh, vibes for different people. But for us in the front race or the front of the front of the race, it's super, super aggressive. And everybody, yeah. they kind of build a, I was talking to a buddy of mine, I think he said it well, they, they kind of build like an air of difficulty or, you know, kind of hard man-ish. And so that adds to it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, keeps hyping the, the you know, you're going to get demolished by the end of the day vibe. Yeah. So is it that, is it just a level of pressure or are you saying it attracts a type of person that has like more of an intense personality anyways? I think that, well, I think by nature of being down there and what the average competition is like down there, it brings that type of person into the, the fray for us towards the front. Like everybody's super hyper-focused on this event and they have, you know, such long lead up times to this, that it's just that, you know, it starts to boil by the time they get to the race day. And then there's a bunch of people that are just looking to finish it too. But those that are looking to compete, there's a very much like, you know, uh, I don't want to say aggro, but aggro vibe to it. Yeah, that's interesting. And it it does make sense toward the front of the group. How big do you think that group of more aggro people who are really competing for a win, a podium, a top 10, how many people do you think really are there? Well, the people that can actually end up getting to the finish line and have some competition or some chance of being in the front of the race is pretty small but the people who are going to have that um mental you know state going into it probably two three four hundred people that's awesome that is such a good difference you know because you're saying basically people go in with that mindset that they're here to compete and then by the end of it the reality that there's probably what do you think 20 people or so that could really yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean obviously that would be the top 20 but there's really 20 people contending for maybe the top 10 yeah I mean, the first, the first 12 miles of the race are primarily pointed downhill on a, on a pretty, pretty fast road section. And you are sprinting like as fast as you can in a cross race practically to get from the start line to the first single track that's 13 miles down the road. And it's mostly downhill. And it just, it's crazy the guys that you see taking chances and trying to move up in the group. And you're just like, okay, it's you got to have all your senses be super sharp going, going into that. Is it because you can tell they're not as experienced as they should be to be up there? Yeah, as experienced as they should be to be up there. And then like having a, you know, a real reality of what they're going to finish on the day versus like their perceived finishing place. Wow. And, you know, like it's, yeah, it's really tough to have a clean day to be in that front group to be you know anywhere near like i think i finished like 40th or something and i ended up having a flat tire on the first single track section probably lost you know 10 15 minutes maybe 10 minutes and then chased it a little bit didn't get anywhere and then kind of realized i'm best just 
rolling with the group because I've always said told everybody that asks questions about it like if you're in a group you're going to be faster if you're trying to go by yourself you're not going to be as fast even though you might feel like you're going slower yeah in that you know in the group you're better off in the group and so I ended up getting in that group and you know I think I was like you know an hour behind Stetna or something finishing time but was was 40th so it's like you know imagine you know thinking that you're going to be up in that group but you're actually like 240th or 400 it's like yeah it's so hard to to be in that front group I guess is my point yeah no that's really good perspective and I think you know because I know how well you are tactically in a race setting and how you can read people and uh just like a strategy in general and you have a really good um eye for like like knowing if someone's experienced or not because Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that you guys listening as someone who has been called out many times by Cody for poor pacing or <laughs> bad technique on certain things or whatever, we call each other out on stuff, but it's true. I've learned a lot from him, especially getting into road or longer days or whatever, because, um, he can just, he can just sense it. And, uh, it's because of all that race experience and how, um, I guess how much you've paid attention to it over the years. So then, obviously that's your race those are the front guys there is that level of intensity which is a lot higher than people expect people think that they can do more than they actually can uh, which i could totally see because i feel like i'd be a person like that um but it's really easy to ride over your head for sure okay yeah and that's so good to keep in mind but did you get a read on the people who were there just fully knowing that they're not going to be at the front and they're there to ride the course and be a part of the event did you kind of pay attention to those people and how the energy was like did it seem more fun and relaxed and cool did people were they still kind of gritty i mean what, were, what was the vibe around those people because that's the majority truthfully yeah they're 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 more relaxed i think that there's a certain level of anxiety that comes in that event because it's a big day like mm-hmm. it's a big big day and so the i would have to guess that the you know the average finishing time is nine to ten hours if i was yeah. to take a wild guess and so that's a long time on the bike and so and i know we were a buddy of mine and I were walking to dinner in the venue. I said a restaurant and we sat down and we were watching people finish until dark. Whoa. You know, and so you think you start at seven AM and you're finishing at eight. It's a long time on the bike. And so those people are stoked and that accomplishment feeling is there. But throughout the day I'm sure they went through some highs and lows and they yeah. just knew that they wanted to just keep moving forward and, and get the day done. So yeah, there's there's a much more relaxed, fun vibe for those folks, but at the same time there's some, you know, I would assume some high anxiety for, I hope I can finish. And yeah, that's, it's cool. You bring that up because actually people I know personally that I followed, but just even watching their Instagram, um, through that race, it was funny because you could tell that they were like a little anxious about how big the day was about to be. And for some of them it was the biggest day on the bike they've ever had. Um, which I think event is a good time to do that, um, because of the support and the energy and other things like that. If, if you're not really trying to um can you give us that stat that you told me about about the finishing what they predicted for amount of people finishing oh yeah so at one of the aid stations i was kind of overhearing the crews and they were they were asking what what they did what they thought the day was going to be like and i they said that there were 60 percent of the registration four thousand people registered 60 percent were for the waffles that's the full 135 and they were expecting roughly 20 25 percent to finish the full waffle the rest would either drop down to the wafer or sag out so basically you know dnf that's crazy because the wafer ride was the 70 mile yeah i think it's like 82 or something yeah it, where it's was half, the, half distance 
oh okay where was the commitment point to the full versus like the half it was well, it pretty it's far pretty, it's pretty early on um okay. but i guess at the same time maybe they were just expecting like people to either turn around because it kind of does a few like out there's a there's a bunch of out and back sections and then off of those there's like little lollipops so oh, really? it, yeah. yeah it kind of there's like a couple of lollipops and so you have the ability to turn around at some points so maybe you'd end up riding 100 or maybe you'd end up riding you know 90 or whatever but there is a lot of section and there's a couple of aid stations that you can use twice and so you have the ability to, to drop, drop yeah. off sooner Okay, so this is kind of random. If there are out and back sections, how do they regulate to make sure people went all the way out and back? Are there at, at every out and back section? Is there like a, like they, a have, they have they have time? Yeah, they have timing timing chips out there or uh, timing pads out there for your timing chip. Oh, so it's actually tracking your route. And everything. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of people or a lot of sections too that are like um, king of the hill sections, king of the sprint sections, all that. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so they, so, are, they are tracking you out there. I want to go further into this because like, I feel like my perspective of it has already changed from like a complete outsider to actually talking to someone who's really been in it. Um, but you also did the five day Oregon trail gravel grinder. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to talk about your experience there a little bit and kind of which one you prefer and, and which one do you think may be more popular in the future for people? Um, because the Oregon gravel, uh, trail gravel grinder was basically five days and it looked like it was like was it 60 to 80 miles a day of yeah 400 miles in five days okay and yep. so it was basically like stages that were all individual and there was an overall winner mm -hmm. yep yeah so cumulative time just like any type of stage racing on road would have um, or mountain biking as well but you know it's kind of a road road-based style of racing so yeah it's cumulative time each day gotcha and so which one okay i gotta ask just plainly which one felt harder oh belgian waffle rides harder whoa yeah yeah, yeah. i mean because you got to think about the you know at the end of the week you might be more tired but the longest day at oregon trail was 100 miles and i think i did it in like a finishing time of right about six hours so it actually was kind of nearly the same time because i think i did belgian waffle ride in seven and a half so it's not that much longer, but the the day and the daunting sort of like all in one day, I guess. Yeah, the route. I think BWR is harder. Each yeah. day at Oregon Trail, you're not quite as smoked. Like you're kind of tired, but then you get the food and recovery, and then you sleep, and the next day, and yeah, you know, they're both hard. They're both hard, and I think for different people, they might be, they might give you different answers. But for me, I think BWR is harder. Yeah, and so do you think? Do you see like a trend of those multi-day gravel uh, grinders growing more than they are now that's the only one that i know of i think i wish that more would but it's also a huge undertaking for the promoter and for the person too doing right. it i mean that's a lot of moving parts and when we do it where we move point to point every day starts and finishes in a different place that's a lot of moving parts yeah it's that is really true i mean almost as i asked the question that was the first thing i thought of because the thing about the Belgian waffle ride is that you do have this crazy physical feat that people create across the board of sport. Like that's what people do with marathons. That's what people do with triathlons. Like they'll have that one event on their calendar for the year that kind of keeps them training and keeps that carry dangling for them a little bit. Um, but they also have the ability to take time off work. Um, 
it's kind of like the one and done mentality. And I know for myself, even taking five days off to commit to that, it's something I could do, but it would be, like you said, way more of an undertaking. Yeah. Um, and for you, I can't imagine what you had to organize at the shop to keep all that going. Um, yeah. And you got to think travel time. So some folks are oh, you right. know, not driving up like we did, but flying from across the country. And so there's yeah. two more days and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot more of an undertaking for sure versus that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. So then with all of your race experience doing these uh, gravel races and all the history we talked about, do you see like any major changes in the industry besides the obvious of, of gravel growing? Do you think gravel will continue to grow? I guess. I mean, do you think other disciplines will, will fizzle out? Um, is stuff going to stay the same? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it'll continue to grow. I think it, it has the, the difficulty level of that marathon or that accomplishment level and it doesn't have the huge um doesn't have the 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 stigma that it's difficult like point of entry like road does Mm -hmm. you know mountain biking is pretty pretty popular but i think gravel will take off more or is already taking off more because one it's not as gnarly you know kind of air quotes as mountain biking would be so there's a little bit lower expectation of people's skill or comfort level for people to get into it coming from road riding and then the accomplishment of the big big day of 100 miles or you know five days or whatever it is 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 appealing to to folks yeah that's true and it's also easy to talk about with people it's the same way the marathon is Mm -hmm. you know like you it's funny when you talk about a downhill race or if you're talking about anything that's gravity fed for the outsider that doesn't understand what hitting like a 20 foot jump was or gapping a rock section, like even talking about it, they're kind of like, Oh, Whoa. But like, you don't understand how all the little feats that you'll have within a day, opposed to just being able to say, I did a hundred mile gravel race. Yep. Um, it's like people can grasp that and hold on to it, which is kind of cool. So then do you see Enduro continuing to grow? Just kind of a side note. Uh, Enduro has a much, much smaller draw. But I, I think that the, well, and I see it from the store, you have to draw the line on when you say growing as the level of competition growing or the discipline like within the public sphere and people buying and riding those bikes. I think that enduro as the racing sphere is probably gonna, is probably reached its peak. Like, I don't think it's going to get any bigger. And, but I think that enduro on the customer trail riding sphere will continue to grow. I think that trail bike rider is always going to continue to grow. So yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I think in mountain biking, enduro is not the fastest growing discipline now. Like it was a couple years ago. It's, it's cross back country. In, right? Yeah. It's moving back into endurance racing. Yeah. Yeah. Cross country in those 50 mile games. Um, so it, it's, it's definitely lost some of its, its luster, but the guys who are going to race enduro aren't going to switch to cross country. It just is a focus of the daily purchaser and like what the public wants you know, and what they're buying, that's changing. Well, it's crazy you say the difference between the consumer and like the consumer who, like is the industry around enduro getting bigger? The consumer, the trail bikes, the people out on trail riding, yes, mm-hmm. is racing itself, probably not. But when you compare it with downhill, it's like, okay, downhill has been on the decline in regards to growth and consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, like really since enduro started, um, but the level is higher and higher and downhill than ever. So like the, I guess that sphere you're talking about of like how fast are the top dudes going? It is like faster than ever, but there's so few guys doing it. Well, it's only because that pond is getting smaller 
and those fish are getting bigger. You know, ah. the, front, the front guys are they've they've been in it for a long period of time. Like just the Americans, for example, you know, Gwen and Nico and those guys, they started out as juniors and they've stuck with it. Yeah. And so they're still there, but the number of juniors coming in from the bottom is getting smaller. And so those big fish at the toppers are just getting faster with bike tech and faster with their skills and training, but there's not an influx of young guys. Yeah, that dude, that is really true. And I, it makes so much sense. And as someone who just has grown up like idolizing downhillers and just only caring about downhill speed, um, I have to admit that that is the truth, man. It is so weird, but I'm someone who's come from downhill and I'm like, why would I ever wait in a lift line when I could climb? I mean, Cody and I actually last summer climbed two laps at North Star and beat the lift line up because the lines were so busy. And we were like, why would you wait in that when you could pedal up and ride the whole time? And, and you're riding the same bike. Like the majority of people yeah. on the line were riding Enduros like we were. They weren't riding downhill bikes. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's, and it's so funny, dude. Like we had a great three-hour solid trail ride, rode some gnarly stuff. Um, and those same people in three hours got like maybe three runs in, but like 15 minutes of total ride time or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look at it from that perspective and it's like, okay, like I get, I get why it's not what it used to be. Like these trail bikes just didn't exist like they do now. You know, you had to go full commit to XC, um, or it was the full downhill. And then at that point it was an easier choice, but yeah, it seems like cross country really is on the up and up, especially with the Olympics, obviously with Nike getting bigger and bigger. Um, and I don't want to go too far down this, but I will say the one thing with Nika, although it's getting so many kids on bikes, I've noticed that it also burns kids out the way that other high school sports do. Oh, totally. Like, I and also they made these kids ride less so that they didn't get so burnt, dude. Like, it's not just, I, I, I don't want it to be a high school sport for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, that's the perfect description is it's a high school sport and the parents force, you know for such a high level of commitment out of the kids too. Like, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And, and I also think that Nika doesn't do the best job of making the racing side a reality for the, for the kids who want to race. They do a great job of getting kids on bikes and they do a great job of making a lot of kids stick with riding for a long period of time. But the kids who want to compete too, that's not bike racing. And so then yeah. they come out into the real world and they're kind of culture shocked by what bike racing really is too. Oh, that's interesting. You know, this yeah. should definitely be another podcast episode. Let's let's save more for this and just talk specifically about Nika. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm super well liked by the Nika crew. That's okay. Based oh, on my yeah. high school, my high school history. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of, uh, oh man, I could actually talk about my experience with it too, like as a trainer and you're trying to help teams and like, it, it's just a, it is an interesting one, but at the same time, you want to be a part of it because it's so cool to see kids on bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I felt like always kind of an outlier in that sense, not because they don't want help or my participation, but it's always been a weird, it's always been a hard one to do. Um, but also like just seeing how much these kids train, I I think it's, I think it's obvious that they're going to get burnt out and they should back off a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, with the Olympics, it's pretty cool. Even for me, XC is looking more and more fun. XC bikes are just getting more fun, especially Mm -hmm. now with droppers and like bikes like the Epic Evo. Um, and so kind of for our last topic here, I want to talk about trail bikes and why short travel trail bikes aren't more popular. Now I got to preface the audience here. You, you know, our conversations at length, we've had about this specifically the one in Tahoe last year with, uh, with Doug there. 
but we're basically for the for you guys to listen we're out on a ride i'm on a uh, the 2020 stump jumper 150 mil bike uh 29er cody is on an epic evo uh one tw- what is it 120 rear 130 front 120 110 120 um with some pretty sick angles and obviously the epic evo is like built for real trail riding uh and then we had doug i think he was also on a stump jumper um but long story short no you were on your enduro that day uh, oh, you that particular day at Squaws on the Enduro. Yeah. And you were I you talking about what I currently ride. That you were on your Enduro. Yes. Because it's hilarious. But as someone who rides with Cody a lot, he rides even tech stuff, I think, faster on his uh, Epic Evo than his Enduro. Um, but basically, we had this long conversation about long travel trail bikes, short travel trail bikes. And Cody, the whole time, is coming from the smaller bike side of things and had such good insight on why smaller bikes were faster. But I, like, couldn't accept it. Even just a year ago, I could not accept it. Because even at the at 150 trail bike, for me, was the smallest bike I've ever been on at that point, um, besides the dirt jumper. So what, what was that specific line that you had told me that, of course, I now agree with uh, about small travel bikes versus big travel bikes? Yeah, it was cool, cool from another friend of ours. But big bikes, you're always having to speed up on coming out of turns and small bikes you're always having to try to slow down on you're you're always trying to you're you're kind of over over speeding on the trail almost yeah and i didn't get what he meant until i got a stump jumper so i finally committed to getting a smaller bike again it's still 140 front 130 rear um but it's so insane because my trail riding experience has gone through the roof you realize how much faster you can be on most terrain um, and I had this mindset of like wanting the bike for the most extreme scenario I would encounter ever. Like that 1% of the 1% bottom out or rock section or steep, whatever. And that was what I was trying to prep my bike for, opposed to thinking about the entire trail I was riding like the whole time and trying to get the best bike for that. And that's been the biggest game changer for me. Um, and even, you know, well, it, it's, I just think that it's so overrated how much travel you need. Uh, but a lot of like skill level on the bike has, has to do with your ability to handle a bike, um, which is definitely an advantage for us. I just wish people understood like even the pumping and the flat terrain, how much faster you could be, um, you know, on a little bit of a smaller bike. Correct. And I, I think, you know, I deal with a lot in the, in the customers at the store, customers who come in to purchase a bike. And you sort of have to paint a picture and and it probably, I may be speaking out of line, but I think a lot of your, your followers or your, your customers as well would follow suit is we have this picture of what we want to ride. And we have this picture of like how a bike, how you should look on the bike that you want to ride. Right. So the type of riding you want to do, how you look when you're actually out on the trail, like this vision in your head, but in reality, we don't, you don't really ride like that. And so why lug around a bike that is a lot harder to ride a lot heavier to ride a lot slower to pedal when you're never going to actually push it to that level yeah and that's it's again you can't really just say that to people directly you have to be like gentle in your delivery yeah yeah um but, but yeah I mean, like in the shop i mean i'll talk to customers i'm like hey you know i i even i don't hype myself up in this scenario i kind of dumb dumb it all down on me i'm like look for me like i'm not a hucker like i'm not looking to get out there and hit huge stuff and he's like you know i for the most part keep my tires on the ground and they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I'm not looking to do any of that. And I'm like, okay, I ride, you know, for the local listeners. Like, I ride Granite Bay a lot. And why ride a stump jumper around Granite Bay? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. And they're like, oh, dude, I ride Granite Bay three times a week. I'm like, well, perfect example. 
yeah. you know, like why, why on the majority of your rides during the week, why have the wrong tool for the job? Yeah. And for me, I, I talked to a lot of people that ride Auburn, which is a lot more of an enduro type place people would go uh, in the foothills. And there's super rough terrain. There is some steeper stuff, but a lot of it is perfect. I mean, most of it almost and all of it <laughs> really yeah. is perfect with the exception of a few small sections, perfect on my stump jumper. And uh, a lot of people think my bike is way too small, but I ride it out there. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. And 85% so, of that trail is perfect. It's yeah, dialed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, my real thought is that what you're saying with the vision of how they should book on the bike, the bike that they should have, it's just the EWS influence. Like there's not this race series where people are out on small trail bikes, riding trail super fast and, and creating this vision for people. All they see is like Whistler and they see yeah. full faces and they see 170, 180 mil bikes with like handguards now that are like so coils and everything. And like motorcycles, when I see, dude, motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> when I see those bikes in Auburn for in particular, I'm like, honestly, that bike is sick. And like, again, I, I don't, I'm not out there judging anybody, but I know that um, I'm like, I'm bummed for them a little bit because like, I know they could have a better experience riding if they were on a smaller bike and didn't feel the need to go so aggro. Like yeah, that bike at North Star makes sense, but that's about it. Yeah. The, the ownership of, of the tool, right. When you purchase that bike and you own it, you're stoked that you own it and you can, you know, drool over it as much as you want in the garage. And that in itself is cool enough for you to have it. Right. Cause that's what you're into. Yeah. But as far as picking the right tool for the job, it tends to be a little bit overkill. It's, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're driving the Ferrari down the freeway doing 45, you know, <laughs> that's, that's really good. Um, nice dude. Well, Hey, thanks for jumping around topics like that. Um, that was super fun talking about it. I do want to follow up on the Nike conversation. Um, but do you want to plug yourself a little bit, a little YouTube, a little Instagram? Throw that's it out style. There. I can't do that. Okay, I'll do it for you. I'll leave <laughs> your info in the descriptions. Go follow Cody. Um, go check out his YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, man, it'd be fun to have you back on just talking about random writing stuff. Yeah, for uh, sure. No, super fun. Yeah, everything across the whole internet is at the Kid Kaiser. So real easy. And oh. I'll, I'll get back on the YouTube train. I've had a lot of people make comments about it of recently. So well, it'd be good. In fact, maybe you could put some strength training on your new YouTube videos because for the people listening, of course, I've been trying to get Cody to do the most bare minimum strength training stuff. And it's taken an injury for it to happen, <laughs> which he is now implementing. Um, so anyways, that feels good to say. Not, I'm not happy about your injury, but I think long, long term, it's going to serve you. Yeah, it's not much of an injury. It's just a minor, minor flesh wound I have to fix. <laughs> <laughs> Back pain, people. Back pain. Um, cool, man. Well, yo, thanks for the conversation, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. It's time for Weekly Thoughts with Derek. It's time to get some stuff off of my chest because it has been a wild last five days and I'm gonna give you the timeline. So right now I'm recording this on Monday morning before you're hearing the episode. Last night on Sunday was the first time I had felt good since the previous Wednesday. So last Wednesday, a week before you're hearing this, I came down with the craziest thing called the norovirus, which I thought was food poisoning because of the violent vomiting that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Basically, Wednesday morning I woke up and I, I could tell my stomach was a little weird, but it almost felt like I just 
you know, I, it's funny. I had wine the night before, like two glasses of wine, not a lot, but I had it pretty close to bed. Like I think within half an hour of falling asleep, which I don't recommend, but <laughs> I woke up and I was like, Ooh, it feels like there's a bunch of wine just like pooling in my stomach whatever not a big deal go to work i'm filming some content for instagram and as i'm doing this kettlebell workout i'm like man i just feel a little shaky i can tell i'm not super strong right now i'm gonna back off and i ended up doing some more mobility it was just it was still a total body session just not super intense well i go home i'm eating normal food within hours of doing that workout i'm at home and i i'm gonna shower and as i'm starting up the shower my stomach feels worse and right away it's like you you know when you know i literally i was like i'm about to puke my brains out i just knew it right away and i stepped in the shower and it was like full-on exorcist and i'm just i have to describe this for you guys you know when you puke with such velocity that every single part of your mouth is you can feel puke coming out of it like a garden hose like it's not coming out and you feel it go over your tongue and out the bottom of your mouth. It is every corner, all 360 degrees can feel puke rocketing out of your mouth. That is exactly how it felt. And seriously, it was, you know, six of those in a row until you're like dry heaving. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just as violent as I've ever puked before. And I was like, wow, you know, there's all the carrots I just ate, 150 grams of them. And that's a good amount of carrots, you guys all over the place <laughs> by the way puking in the shower without a doubt is the most ideal spot to do it so anyways that turned into some of the worst stomach pains i've ever had in my entire life plain and simple i got to a point where i was keeled over and i'm watching all three of my kids by the way and so they had just my toddler woke up from his nap and i'm delicious at work not picking up her phone i called my mom you guys and I just said, mom, can you please come over? And she was at work. Like she left and thankfully she works close to my house. And I was like, mom, like I, I need you to come take care of my kids. I cannot watch them. I, I can't even pick up my son because I'm in so much pain, seriously. And what's crazy, you guys, if you see the workout I did on my Instagram, I went from doing these like gnarly workouts to within hours, I was in so much pain. I could not pick up auto. It was so wild. Um, so long story short, there was a few more bouts of just insane puking over the next uh, day and a half. And then it just turned into the wildest stomach pain I've ever had, uh, which turned into the most intense bloating I've ever experienced. Like I had to lean back and like arch my back just to get some comfort, but I had crazy back pain from it um, and just so weak. So basically I, it's all stomach and I feel extremely weak but again, I don't have like a fever or a cold or anything, right? So I always opt to try and move as much as I can. And so basically my normal schedule would have had me, thankfully I hit my workout that day, um, which I think I was a lot more sore from because I instantly got so dehydrated and I just could not eat or keep food down or have any nutrition. So <laughs> basically I had that workout done on Wednesday. Typically on Thursday, I would ride. And I think that Thursday I, at night, I took auto up to the park on my shotgun seat on the bike. So it's like a one mile soft pedal on my mountain bike. <laughs> and I was supposed to do gnarly anaerobic 90 minutes of intervals, by the way, on trainer road. It was going to be my last super hard session before the Auburn Enduro I'm racing this weekend. So anyways, far from that, but I still kind of moved my legs. Um, felt good. I just was feeling, I mean, it felt good to move my legs. 
The next day was supposed to be a typical strength workout. Instead, I just did some light band work and activation, which it helped me get my mind clear, which was really good because I had a lot of work to do. And before that workout, I could not focus. You know, like the pain was so gnarly the days before, by the way, where I would just lay down and no TV, no phone, no music. Like I just needed silence and I wouldn't even fall asleep. I would just lay there for like an hour. And, but also when you do have kids, um, it is basically impossible to ever really rest. And that was the hardest thing. Um, and I just got to say, I know I'm bouncing back and forth on training schedule and stuff, but Lish ended up getting sick. It came and went for her in like just over 24 hours, thankfully. Otto was sick, which I think he was the first one sick, by the way. Um, and that turned into toxic synovitis, which is inflammation of a hip joint. So there was two days where he couldn't walk. And we figured it out, thankfully, through the uh, consultation with the doctor, but he couldn't walk. So this 35 pound kid wants you to hold him constantly. And I'm in so much pain, I basically can't hold him. Lish doesn't feel good. We have crying twins. And my parents ended up coming down with the Rona, which is a whole other thing, like my whole side of that family. Um, and then Lish's mom ended up getting the, <laughs> the, the uh, norovirus from us. So it was just like sickness all around. We have less childcare. We have a more demanding toddler. Our twins are just being twins. And there was two nights in a row where I just, dude, I, I wanted to just escape so bad. I mean, I think every parent knows the feeling of being like, I, I feel like I need to get out of here. I never would and I, I cannot, but somebody save me, <laughs> please. And it just felt like that for a few nights in the row. Like honestly, Lish and I looked at each other and were like, we're gonna get through this. And as soon as she felt better, she really took over. Um, and it was funny because as I came back to life last night and started helping out like normal, she started shutting down. Like I could tell that all the stress and energy from her was just like dumping off of her. And she got super uh, tired, like super tired. Uh, so that was, that was all interesting. So long story short, the Saturday, I was feeling better. And typically Saturday and Sunday, I just go for rides and I ride super hard. Um, usually I'll do a really hard ride one day on the weekend and the other day is kind of moderate, but I'll still hit tempo or sweet spot. Um, and so instead I did the easiest ride I could find on train. Well, one of the easiest rides I could do on trainer road and I could barely turn the pedals over. Like pedaling, I tried to pedal at 200 watts and do an endurance ride and I could not do it. Like I literally could not do it. And so I had to dump it back to like 160 watts that I held for like 45 minutes and I'm just burping and like borderline puking in my mouth the whole time. <laughs> but you know what's crazy? The rest of my body felt so much better from it, it was worth it. I just couldn't add the intensity. And so then Sunday, I took Otto out on another shotgun ride in the morning, could tell I'm feeling a little better, still a lot bloated, but long story short, it's Monday now and I'm feeling way more normal. I can just tell my strength isn't quite there. However, I think by this weekend, I, sh I can't imagine I wouldn't be at 100% and I should be race ready, which is really good. And it's just, it's an enduro. So this is a very physical enduro, but even the most physical enduro is not like a road race or, or an XC race or something like that, um, at least you know, from my understanding, I haven't done an XC race, but the intensity looks like on another level. And I've done so much more endurance training now that even like the hardest interval you would do during an enduro isn't crazier than like a crazy, I don't know, threshold, a VO2 max interval you do on the trainer or something. So that's just what, you know, what I experienced at that previous enduro race I did this year. Anyways, you guys, it's eight minutes in already. I can't believe it, but that is what had happened. And here's what I want to tell you on the perspective shift. 
Now, I was getting really bummed out that this happened so soon to the race I'm about to do. Um, because I honestly feel like I could do really well at this race. I have the perfect bike. They are my home trails. And I really believe I have as much, if not more fitness than everyone I'm going to race. And this is a very physical race. And I'm like, wow, I could, I could do really well. And to think that I wouldn't be able to race because of this, or I would have to race subpar, which I just, I won't do. I'm not going to go out and race if I, if I'm weak still, because it, I think that would be more frustrating than just not being there, but it just really bummed me out. And I was stressing about it. And truthfully, guys, at the end of the day, I was so focused on myself for a couple days there that I realized I was like, I need a full on energy shift. For one, this is demanding way too much of my attention. It is not that important. It really is not. So I cannot let it have any more of my energy, plain and simple. Uh, also, I need to realize that I am just being so self-centered and just hyper-focused on how like poor me that if I don't start either thinking about the needs of other people, thinking about work, being grateful for a short-term minor illness, then, then I'm just going to be sitting here in, in my worries the whole time. So I had to consciously make that decision. Um, of course, I did it through a lot of prayer, uh, talking to God, and just really, you know, I'm actually reading a book right now, Winning the War on Your Mind, that is t literally dead on for this scenario. So it's always interesting on timing of what kind of stuff gets put in your hands. Uh, but that helped a ton. And really, it's crazy. But, you know, feeling better today does give me a lot of hope. But I really made that decision before I felt better. And I think, I don't know, it was like all of a sudden, I just got excited at the potential opportunity to race and being like, oh man, if I feel better, I can get out there. Like that's all I want to do, opposed to being worried about not performing at my best. And it's just such a different energy shift. And so, yeah, a lot of that stress has been relieved. And I'm looking forward to the race this weekend. And. That's pretty much it, you guys. So uh, that's all I would say is remember, you know, it's easy to get so self-centered when you're not, you know, when you're kind of struggling. Um, and I'll just tell you, when you, like this, this week is not just about my physical ability. We've had to do so much weird calendar stuff to get the family taken care of so that I can race just on these two days locally this weekend that that alone almost made me stop. Um, but I think that was more so a test of like, how bad do you want to be out there? But, um, thankfully some people came through cause my family is still pretty shut down. So long story short, I've doubled my time. Um, but that was been the, like the last week that we last week for me, super stressful, but a lot of perspective and man, I can't wait to get on my bike and ride this weekend. And gosh, dude, we just got to be so grateful for our health. You know, it, it was a reminder of how many things go right for me to live the lifestyle that I do. How many moving parts are just actually moving the way they should, even when it feels stressful, even when it feels like things are like weird. One sickness can totally change everything and just like a million other factors can. So um, again, just being grateful for your stressful life that is actually operating is something to uh, consider. Anyways, you guys, that's all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm setting this five... A minute time timer to keep myself accountable and hopefully i can stick to it in the future i don't know let me know if you feel like i'm going on for too long <laughs> but there's just too much to talk about oh lastly you guys keep moving don't miss you know 
your body, you got to be smart and you can't push intensity where you shouldn't, but it's incredible how even a breathing exercise, some light stretching or some light muscle activation or movement can make you feel so much better. Even if it's just temporary, when you're not feeling 100%, even when you are sick, I recommend just moving a little bit and making that a priority because it, you know, even if it helps you focus on your work for the next hour, it'll be worth it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dialed Health Podcast. If you are enjoying it, there's two things you can do to really help us out. It makes a huge difference and only takes a minute or two. The first thing you could do is give us five stars on the Apple Podcast app and also just write a positive comment, say you're enjoying the episode. Anything positive honestly works. I'm not picky. (laughs) The second thing you can do is to screenshot that you're listening to the episode and post it to your social media. Instagram stories is a perfect place to do this and tag Dialed Health. Not only will I be able to repost it, but it also shows your friends that you're listening and really helps with the growth of the podcast. Now, you can also go to dialedhealth.com and get a membership. Without a doubt, that'd be the most supportive thing you can do. And hopefully you can implement some strength training into your weekly routine and get the benefits of it and have the best rides possible. Thank you so much for the support. I hope you have an incredible week. We will see you next Wednesday.